Good morning to the church. It is a joy and a privilege to, uh, to be here with you this morning and just to be able to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ with you. To be invited to open God's word and to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate that charge. I need it this morning. I appreciate your prayers. Uh, I just want to stop and, and thank uh, Pastor Nate for inviting me here this morning as he talked a little bit about our relationship and as it's developed over the last couple of years. Uh, he may not know this, but I look up to him. And uh, he is not just a brother to me, but he is a mentor to me in many ways and his sweet wife, Darisha. They don't know this, but about five years ago, they had a profound impact on the way that my wife and I lead and shepherd our children towards Christ. They had us in their home. They had welcomed us to their home to have dinner about five, six years ago. And uh, what we got to see was, was family devotion, family worship in a way that I had never really seen before. I had seen it, but they just had it on a whole nother level. And so that's really impacted the way that my wife and I have tried to disciple our children and lead them in the word of God. And so we've had a lot of opportunities just to do ministry together, and so I'm thankful for him. And I, don't, I know this doesn't need to really be said, but you all are blessed by God to have this man as your pastor. Shepherding and leading and guiding the people, the flock of God here at Forest Baptist Church. So thank you so much for having me here this morning, and uh, I pray that you would... Pray for me as I begin to open God's word. If you have a copy of the Bible, please take it and meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to be in verses 6 through about verse 20. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 20, but I'm just going to read the first half of this passage as we get ready to see what the Lord has for us. Pick me up in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. 
But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, would you just meet with us? Would you prepare our hearts for your word? Would you teach us by your spirit and allow us to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Allow us to see our need for him. Allow us to see his glory and his magnificence. That we could see ourselves rightly and we could see one another rightly. And we'll pray it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. About two weeks ago, we celebrated my youngest daughter's second birthday. We went to Chuck E. Cheese as a family, and we just had a great time, you know, celebrating her life. We are thankful to God for her. She's a blessing to our lives. She's challenging in many ways, but she's a blessing. So that's our baby. She's two years old, and we also have a four-year-old daughter, our oldest daughter. Her name is Eden, and if you know anything about my four-year-old, Eden, her love language is gifts. If you want to weigh into her heart, if you want to win her affections, you buy her a gift, and she'll love you forever. My in-laws, I believe, have single-handedly kept the Disney store in business, buying her gifts and speaking her love language, and she loves them for that. And so she was there, our four-year-old was there, our two-year-old was there, and we're just having a great time at Chuck E. Cheese and enjoying pizza and enjoying games. And this is this great time until we begin to open up the gifts. And so baby girl begins to open up her gifts, and she begins to open up her gifts, and she begins to open up her gifts and more gifts. And, and you can understand what starts to happen as little sister begins to open all these gifts. And big sister, who loves gifts more than anything else in life, has to sit and watch. It's this ugly little emotion that's inside of every one of us called jealousy. Right? She begins to get jealous of her sister. She begins to pout about what her sister is getting and then come to tears. And now dad's got to have a conversation about why you can't love gifts so much that it causes you not to be able to celebrate and love your sister well on her birthday. That's a hard lesson for a four-year-old to be able to understand. And sometimes it's a hard lesson for grown folks to be able to understand. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is a story about the jealousy of a man named Saul towards a man named David. It's a story that's going to challenge every single one of us in this room and really challenge what our heart's affections are set upon. Because jealousy is kind of like an iceberg. If you know how an iceberg works, there's really only 10% of it on the surface that you can actually see. The nasty stuff, the harmful stuff is underneath the surface. So for those of us who find ourselves in situations where we're envious of other people and we're jealous of other people and we're measuring ourselves over and against other people, jealousy is only about 10% of what's really going on in our hearts. The nasty stuff, the 90% of it that we really need to deal with lies deep within our hearts. There's something deeper there that's driving it. There's something deeper there that's pushing it. And my prayer this morning as we look at the story of Saul and David is that God would show us what it is that's driving this thing called jealousy. 
Before we get there, though, we got to do a little bit of work of context on these two men, Saul and David. Saul was the current king over Israel. The people of Israel wanted to have a king to rule over them like the nations so that they could be like the nations. Even though God had delivered them out of Egypt, he had separated them that they would be a peculiar people. Right, that they would be a set-apart people. They were supposed to be distinct from the nations because they had God ruling over them, and God was their king. Nevertheless, they rejected God as their king, and they said, we want a king so that we can be like the nations. And God essentially says, okay, you want a king, I'll give you a king, but he's going to be a worldly king. He's going to be a self-serving king. He's going to be a king that is consumed with building his own platform, even at the expense of the people. In steps King Saul. And this is kind of a proof text for why the people of God should never look to a politician to be their savior and to be their primary allegiance. We are supposed to be the people of God. Followers of Christ are supposed to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven right here on earth. That's a different sermon for a different day. So there you have King Saul. He's the appointed king over Israel. And you also have David, who is his, uh, his, his successor. David is going to be the man who replaces Saul as king over Israel. David was an insignificant, common shepherd boy, probably a teenager. But the Bible says that he loved God. The scriptures say that about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And so God was about to elevate David from being a shepherd boy to being the king over Israel. He was going to replace Saul. It's David that most of us know from the story of David and Goliath that the enemies or, or the people of Israel had an enemy and it was the people of the Philistines. The Philistines had a warrior, a champion, who was a giant of a man named Goliath. Nobody in Israel was willing to fight Goliath, including King Saul. But David steps up. David says, I'm not afraid to fight him. I believe that God would save his people and deliver them from their enemies. And so he steps in. We know how the story goes. He defeats Goliath, cuts off his head, and now David is the hero. The story that we're going to look at this morning comes on the heels of David killing Goliath and being celebrated as the hero. Saul's jealousy is directly tied to the fact that David is being acknowledged by the people as the hero of the victory of God's people. So pick it up in verse 6, and we find ourselves in this celebration. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So here's the scene. David has just defeated Goliath and there's this major celebration that's taking place. It'd be almost like if your favorite team won the championship. Say UK football wins the national championship. Wait a minute, no. Let's get, let's get more realistic here, okay? UK basketball wins the championship, maybe, right? UofL basketball wins the championship, right? 
And they come back into the city, and there's this hero's welcome. There's a parade. People are lining the streets, and they're singing, and they're clapping, and they're dancing. It's euphoria. That's what happens as these warriors come back into the city, and these women in the city begin to sing a song of praise and acknowledgement. And the words of this song go something like this. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. In other words, Saul, you did pretty good, man. You handled your own, right? You killed thousands. There's not a lot of people who can say that they've killed thousands. You did pretty good, but David is the man, right? David is on a whole nother level. He's killed tens of thousands. Saul, you're good. David, you're the man. Saul hears this song of acknowledgement. He hears this song of praise and watch his reaction in verse 8. It says, and Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And saw I, David, from that day on. Saul is experiencing jealousy. He's mad. He's upset that they're showing David this kind of love, this kind of appreciation. He's my four-year-old daughter at Chuck E. Cheese. Because here what we're seeing is the people of Israel have experienced a corporate victory. The people of Israel have experienced a communal victory. All of them have been delivered from their enemies, but Saul is not able to rejoice because he wasn't the one to hit the game-winning shot. Right? His attitude is not, praise God, God's people have been delivered from their enemies. It's David is getting acknowledged as the deliverer. His attitude is not, praise God, we have won a victory. It's Man, David is being acknowledged as the one who did it. He's experiencing jealousy, and this is what shows me that there's more going on here than Saul being jealous. His real problem, the real issue that's going on deep within his heart is the idol of significance. Pastor Nate told me whenever I came to preach to to give a, a title for my sermon, something that we wanted to call this. And I said, we simply need to call it the dangers of idolizing significance. Right? Jealousy is the thing that we can see on the outside. Jealousy is the fruit of Saul's problem, but there's a bigger root going on inside of his heart. And that root is that he desires, he craves to be lifted up and to be glorified and to be approved in the eyes of people so much that when somebody else gets acknowledged, he can't celebrate. Right? The issue is not that David is being praised, it's that Saul isn't. And because of that, it drives him to have jealousy, the idol of significance. Jesus describes it like this in John chapter 12. I don't know if they have it on the screen, but here's what it says. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, speaking about Jesus, 
But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And here's the catchphrase. It says, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The idol of significance is that we crave to be approved by people sometimes over and above even the approval of God. That is what is behind Saul's jealousy. It's his desire to be lifted up. It's his desire to be approved and glorified by the people. And before we're too quick to get on Saul, before we're too quick to shake our finger at him, let us be warned this morning that every single one of us are susceptible to the idol of significance. It was in Adam when he was in the garden and he wanted to be like God. It was in Saul here. It was in Nebuchadnezzar when he wanted all the people of Babylon to worship a statue made in his image. It was in the disciples when they walked with Christ and they argued over who was the greatest in the kingdom even though they were walking with the Son of God. It's in you and it's in me, it's what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the drum major instinct. That most of us, if we're honest, we're not okay just being a part of the band. We want to be out front of the band so that everybody can see our talents and our contributions and recognize us for it. It's the idol of significance, and it can lead us into some perilous implications. It can cause us to see ourselves and to see other people, even to see God in a wrong light. The idol of significance, the quest to be approved and appraised by people. It begins in our hearts as a lie. It begins in our hearts as a lie. Not just what it leads us to, but it begins as a lie because you and I were never made to be approved and appraised and glorified by people in the first place. You and I were not made to receive glory. We were made to reflect glory. That's why I love the worship set that we came in here with this morning, talking about the glory of God. All I have is Christ. That's why Romans 11 and 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Jeremiah 9 and 23 tells us this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me, that I am God, the one and true Lord. That's why the gospel comes to us and it reminds us of who we are in the presence of God. It begins with God is glorious and you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the scriptures tell us that salvation is by grace through faith, that not of our works so that none of us could boast. It's all of him. Dr. Tony Evans says that there will be no peacocks in heaven. Right, that we won't be strutting around there with our chest poked out to say God loved me and accepted me because of who I am and because of what I've accomplished in this life. 
The gospel comes to us and it reminds us of who we are so that we can get downwind of ourselves and realize that we needed a savior. The idol of significance is what is driving the jealousy of Saul. And it could be something that you and I could be tripped up on as well. There's three things that our text shows us that we want to avoid when it comes to the idol of significance. Three things that we see right here in our text, signs of the idol of significance that we want to avoid in the very life of Saul. If you're taking notes, write this first one down. It begins in verse 8. It's discontentment. Discontentment. Look at verse 8. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. Saul says this in a spirit of complaint. He says, man, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands, and they've ascribed to me just thousands. As if thousands is small potatoes. As if thousands is somehow some throwaway, meaningless, trivial contribution that he's made to the victory of people. He's looking at thousands and he feels discontented about it. He feels slighted about it because he's comparing it through the lenses of tens of thousands. These women didn't sing this song as a slight against Saul. They didn't sing this song as somehow knocking him as being less than. Both of these men are getting credit for the contribution to the corporate victory. What Saul has done, thousands, has probably not been accomplished by many of the warriors in that fight. But he looks at it and he feels discontent about it because he's viewing it in comparison to tens of thousands. He feels discontented about what God has allowed him to accomplish because he's playing the comparison game with David. Anybody in here ever played the comparison game? Where we are measuring ourselves by other people. We're measuring our blessings against other people. We're measuring our worth and our significance and our value against other people. Most of us have played the comparison game. It's called Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Right? We live in the age of social media where other people's good life of health, wealth, and prosperity is constantly on blast for us to peek into and compare ourselves to. Right? We live in the most connected, disconnected generation of people that there's ever been. We can know things about people that we don't really know, and we find ourselves comparing ourselves to them feeling discontent about what God has done in our life. And here's what we need to understand about social media. Y'all know that social media, all it is is people's highlight tapes, right? That's all it is, is people's highlight tapes. People putting their best foot forward, the cropped and edited version of life, 
the filtered version of life to appear like they have all everything all together. Right? People don't put out there on social media that, that their marriage is falling apart. Right? People don't put out there on social media that their children are misbehaved and bringing grief to the family. Right? People don't put out there on social media that there's stress and doubt and worry in the home because the ends aren't meeting at the end of the month. Right? People want to put their best appearance forward that we have it all together and it's just this breeding ground for boasting and for discontent. People, some of the most uh, unhappy, bitter people in the world spend all day on Facebook. Instead of having their face in this book and allowing God to define who we are and allowing God to define what gives us worth and significance. And what happens is now we, we watch people's highlight tapes and we look at our life and now my house ain't big enough. Now my car ain't new enough. Now my wardrobe ain't clean enough. My kids ain't smart enough because I'm comparing myself to what other people say is significance. People of God ought to be those who find their contentment in Jesus Christ. The people of God ought to be those who don't have our eyes on what God hasn't given us, but keep our eyes on what he has given us, namely the Lamb of God who was slain for sin. Here's what scripture says in Philippians chapter 4. It says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need and here's the verse I can do all things through him who strengthens me served on staff with the fellowship of Christian athletes for about five years and I used to tell young guys all the time Philippians 4:13 is not about you being able to do whatever you set your heart to as long as Jesus is in it right Philippians 4:13 ain't going to help you dunk a basketball if you're 5 eight. That passage is about us finding our worth and our significance in Christ regardless of our circumstances. That in Christ, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. That if he never did another thing for us by him sending his son to die on the cross for our sins, he's done enough. If I can remember that, I don't have to compare my thousands with another man's ten thousands. If I can remember that, I can be content in what God. ungodly conflict. Look at verse 10. It says, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. 
Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Here we are, the celebration after David killing Goliath. Look back in the text again, it says that he had a spear in his hand. And in verse 11, it says that he hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. He tried to kill him. Now watch this progression. James chapter 4 says it this way in verse 18. 
this mic all right all right most of the time when we find ourselves in situations where we're at conflict when we're at odds with our spouse what's driving that conflict is financial issues arguing over money arguing over debt and if we peel that back just a little bit what is it that drives most of our spending habits is it not the idol of significance is it not that we strive to spin, outspend our means and to have newer and better and bigger than the next man down the street keeping up with the Joneses? So now, because of my idol of significance, because of my desire to be lifted up in the eyes of people, I'm at odds with my spouse. If you find yourself constantly in conflict with another person, every situation that you're in, at work, at the ball team, at, with your extended family, the number one common denominator is it's you. And it's what your heart is set on. Now, there's another thing that we need to notice before we move on. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I feel like I need to. The text says that David was playing the liar as he did day by day. If you know the backstory of this, you know that David was hired into the house of Saul to play the liar for him so that he could soothe him and calm him when he would get into these fits of rage. In other words, Saul is mad at David while David is trying to serve him. David is in his corner. David is his teammate. David is not his enemy. The Philistines are his enemy. And can this happen in the church that sometimes Satan will get us so worried about who gets the credit, who gets to sing the solo, who gets to lead the community group that we're busy fighting ourselves instead of the real enemy out there? Here's the thing, there are people in our city who are dying apart from Christ every single day. And our inward fighting, our inward conflict, worried about who's the person who gets in the limelight is not leading them to Christ. Some of our young people, many of our young people are being lured away into cults and into gangs. And the reason that they are attracted to them is because they give the appearance of love and family and unity that sometimes the church doesn't. The Great Commission is too important 
for God's people to be aiming at one another with our conflict instead of aiming at him who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The idol of significance can drive us to be discontent about our blessings. It can drive us to have ungodly conflict with people who ain't even the real enemy. The third thing that it can drive us to do, and we'll end with this, is it can drive us to neglect our loved ones. Look at verse 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Here we have David offering his daughter's hand in marriage, or excuse me, Saul offering his daughter's hand in marriage to David as a wife. And he doesn't do it because he has his daughter's best interest in mind. He does it using her as a pawn in his jealous quest for significance. She's expendable to him. He believes that if he marries her and he goes out and fights the Lord's battles as a bride price, that the Philistines would kill him instead of Saul killing him. She's expendable to him. And if that is not Bad enough, he does this again in verse 20 with his other daughter. Look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Brothers and sisters, this might be the worst move of them all. Offering our families on the altar of approval. The idol of significance will drive us to do that. The idol of wanting to be praised and approved by people will drive us to do that even at the expense of neglecting our loved ones. I see this happen in ministry all the time. Pastors and full-time ministers who are in a quest to build a bigger platform than the next man spend all of their time preaching and studying and writing books and going to conferences and doing this and doing that all while their families get their leftovers. This is something that I have to check my heart with every single day. One of my greatest prayers in life is, God, please don't let me be so focused on making disciples of people in the church that I neglect to make disciples of the people in my own home. Can I just be, can I be honest with you this morning? Is this a safe place? Is this a place where we believe in the grace of Jesus Christ? The idol of significance, when I trace back every one of my sin struggles, the idol of significance is usually underneath it. It's been in me ever since I was a young boy. It's been in me as I grew up to be an athlete at the collegiate level and have an opportunity in the National Football League. It has always been this desire in me to be approved and accepted by people. 
And so I'm constantly having to confess that. I'm constantly having to repent of that. I'm constantly having to come back to the cross of Jesus Christ to get a little dose of humility and remind myself that it ain't about me. Here's the thing. If I build a successful, fruitful ministry at the expense of my family and my family falls apart, I lose. Let us not sacrifice our families, spending our time, spending our resources, spending our energies trying to keep up with the next man, trying to gain approval, trying to gain status. Here's the thing. I grew up without a father. And I can promise you this, that your kids would rather have your presence in their lives than your ability to provide for them a comfortable life. Let us not sacrifice our families at the expense of chasing idols. That's what idols do. Idols tell you, here's what you got to sacrifice in order to have me. Jesus says, here's what I've sacrificed in order to have you. Idols will say, here's the price that you've got to pay in order to have me. Jesus says, here's the price that I've paid in order to have you. These are three things that we want to avoid. And in verse 12, we're going home on this, I promise. Verse 12 gives us a practical thing that we can do. If you're here and you're saying, what do I do about this? What do I do? I have this idol of significance. I have this desire in me to be approved and accepted by people. What do I do? Here's the practical step in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. The reason why Saul has this issue of idolatry in his heart is very simple. David walked with God and Saul didn't. David was close to God and Saul wasn't. If you're here and you struggle with the desire for the approval of people, even over and above sometimes the approval of God, your step, what you need to do is humble yourself and seek the face of God. To come to him, to cultivate a relationship with him where you're reading his word and you're praying and you're spending time in fellowship with his people. Because as you do that, as you get your eyes on Jesus, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a man who had more significance and more glory than anybody that there's ever been. Scripture says that he was found in the form of God, yet he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. He emptied himself. He stepped into the world that he made. He was born in a manger. He grew up in an obscure part of town. The scriptures say about him that he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That he came to serve us, not to be served, but to serve us. And he gave his life a ransom for many. The scriptures tell us that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the reason why was so that he could save you and me from our sins that he could die in our place, that he received the wrath of God upon his life, even though he was perfect, so that he could set us free. 
And when you get your eyes on Jesus, when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, you will be able to say like John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he may increase. The idol of significance will drive us to some perilous places, but Jesus can redeem it. As we end this morning, if you're here, that's the simple call that I have for you is to humble yourself. The scriptures tell us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. Would you seek him? Would you come near to him that he could set you free from the idol of significance? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good. You made us not to receive glory, but to reflect it. God, you didn't need anything from us. Instead, we needed you, and so you made us as a way that we could experience you, as a way that we could be defined by you, as a way that we could draw our significance and our worth from you. Sometimes our hearts crave glory. They crave significance that belongs to you. There's a person here struggling with that. I pray that they would humble themselves to the gospel call and that they would come to Jesus. That they would receive life and a new identity and a new worth in him. And I pray that you would set us free from discontentment. God, set us free from ungodly conflict. Set us free from neglecting our families, chasing approval. The simple call is to humble ourselves, to spend time in the presence of Christ, realizing that there's no one worthy, no one who should be praised, no one who should be glorified other than him. We'll pray it humbly in his name this morning. Amen.